then God promised him that he will be with Isaac and give him that land, and he will establish the oath that he swore to Abraham. God also promised to multiply Isaac's offspring, and the offspring of all the nations will be blessed through his offspring. Welcome to the Fox Den with Terry Fox. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Fox Den. I'm going to continue my survey of Genesis by looking at chapters 23 to 27. And we're actually going to move pretty quickly through the next several chapters. But first, let me quickly review our timeline. God created all things, yet Adam sinned against God, leading to the fall of mankind. However, instead of condemning Adam for his sin, God initiated a plan to defeat Satan. And the seed of the woman would crush Satan. After the earth was populated, God flooded the earth because the sin of man was great. Yet God rescued Noah and his family. Remember, in order to keep his promise in Genesis 3.15, he had to rescue someone. The seed of the woman had not yet come to defeat Satan. Well, after the earth was repopulated, God made a covenant with Abraham that he would bless the nations through him. And this is a prophecy of Christ. Furthermore, God promised to give Abraham a son. And after waiting 25 years, God delivered on his promise, and Isaac was born to Abraham. And through the line of Isaac, the seed of the woman prophesied in Genesis 3.15 would come. Then in chapter 22, God gives us a glimpse of Christ as he called Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, the promised son. However, God provided a ram for Abraham to offer instead of Isaac. Yet the ram was not the real sacrifice that God would provide. He would provide his own son hundreds of years later. Now let's move to chapter 23. And the first thing that we see is the death of Sarah. And after she died, Abraham requested land from the Hittites to bury her. Now look at how they responded to Abraham. In verse 6, they called him a prince of God. Because of this, they wanted to give him land to bury Sarah. However, Abraham wanted to pay for the land, so he purchased land for 400 shekels and buried Sarah. Then in chapter 24, Isaac finds a wife. Abraham sent one of his servants to find a wife for Isaac, but he told the servant not to find a wife from the Canaanites. So he made his servant swear to him that he would not do this. Instead, he told him to go to the land where he was from and find a wife there. And then the servant wanted to know what to do if the woman was unwilling to come back with him. And Abraham says that God will send his angel ahead of him, and he shall take a wife from the people. Abraham trusted that God was going to find a wife for Isaac. However, if she was unwilling to come with him, the servant would be released from this responsibility. Well, Abraham's servant goes to Mesopotamia, which is present-day Syria and Iran and Iraq, And he stopped outside the city and he prayed to God. And he asked God to give him success and show steadfast love to Abraham. And able to identify this woman, he asked that God would give him a sign. And he said if he asked for water, then she would respond by saying, Drink and I will water your camels. And while he was praying, Rebekah showed up. And she was the granddaughter of Abraham's brother. So Abraham's servant asked her for water. And she gave him son and then she said she'd water his camels. Now, I want you to see how Abraham's servant responded. He worshiped God. He rightfully acknowledged God's love and faithfulness to Abraham. Isn't that interesting? 
He was saying that God loved and was faithful to Abraham. But wasn't he there to find a wife for Abraham's son, Isaac? So why didn't he say that God loved and was faithful to Isaac? Well, first, Abraham sent his servant to find a wife, trusting that God would be faithful to find a wife for Isaac. Second, it seems that God was faithful to Abraham because God made a covenant with Abraham that he would make him a great nation. And how was God going to do this? Through the promised son, Isaac. Well, Abraham's servant gives credit to God for leading him to the right place, which was the family of Abraham. So Rebekah's family welcomed the servant into their home, and he told them the whole story. And then Rebekah went with the servant to Abraham. And Genesis 24 concludes with Isaac taking Rebekah as his wife. Then Genesis chapter 25 begins with the death of Abraham. And then next, we see the birth of Esau and Jacob, Isaac's sons. And the first thing that I want you to see here is that Isaac was in a similar situation as his father Abraham. Notice that Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah as his wife. We see that in verse 20. Now notice how old Isaac was when Jacob and Esau were born. He was 60 years old, which we see in verse 26. Isaac had to wait 20 years to have children. And like Sarah, Rebekah was unable to have children. So Isaac prayed, and God granted his prayer, and Rebekah conceived twins. And then the children struggled within her, and she asked why this was happening. And God answered in verse 23. He said, There were two nations in her, and they will be divided. The older will serve the younger. This is an interesting prophecy. First, it was counter to the culture. Back then, the oldest received the birthright. So technically, the younger would serve the older. And second, this parallels what we saw in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. God will put enmity between the woman and Satan, between her offspring and Satan's offspring. It appears that Jacob is the offspring of the woman and Esau is the offspring of Satan. Now, perhaps you're thinking I'm reading into this. However, look at Malachi chapter 1, verses 2 through 3, and it says, I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. Now keep in mind that Malachi was written hundreds of years after Jacob and Esau died. And this verse has the descendants of both sons in view. But look at how God treated the descendants of Esau. Did he do this because they were bad people? Well, they weren't any worse than the Israelites. Then why did God treat them this way? Well, he tells you he hated them. In fact, Paul argues in Romans chapter 9 that God loved Jacob and hated Esau before they were born. And in Romans 9, Paul is arguing for the doctrine of election. And the doctrine of election is simply that God chooses whom he's going to save. So Paul quotes Malachi chapter 1 verses 2 to 3 to confirm that God loved Jacob and hated Esau. You see, there are two people, those in Christ and those outside of Christ, the offspring of the woman and the offspring of Satan. Remember, Jesus is the offspring of the woman who will defeat Satan. He is God who became man. So those in Christ are the offspring of the woman, 
and those outside of Christ are the offspring of Satan. So it appears that we get a glimpse of these two peoples in the womb of Rebekah. Well, let's get back to chapter 25. Years later, Esau worked in the field and he came in exhausted. And he requested some stew from Jacob. And Jacob then made a deal. He told Esau that he would give him some of the stew if he sold his birthright. And Esau agreed. Now look at how chapter 25 ends. Esau despised his birthright. Moving on to Genesis chapter 26, Isaac goes to Gerar. And if you remember, his father Abraham went there. And when he was there, God told him to go to the land that he would tell him to go. Then God promised him that he will be with Isaac and give him that land. And he will establish the oath that he swore to Abraham. God also promised to multiply Isaac's offspring. And the offspring of all the nations will be blessed through his offspring. So what God just did here was pass on to Abraham's son the promises that he made to Abraham. Now, who is the offspring in which the nations will be blessed? Well, this is a prophecy of Christ. And you who are believers are the nations that have been blessed by him. Remember, in Christ, God is gathering people for himself from every nation, and no government can stop this from happening. And then finally, look at verse 5. It tells you why God passed his promise on to Isaac. He did this because Abraham obeyed his voice and kept his charge, commandments, statutes, and laws. Now, don't misunderstand this. Abraham didn't earn his blessing from God. First, God made the promise, then God counted Abraham's faith as righteousness. We see that in Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. Next, Abraham wasn't sinless. What's the proof? He died. Remember the penalty for sin? It's death. Abraham's death proves that he was a sinner. So Abraham didn't earn this blessing from God. Remember, God made a promise based on his grace, not Abraham's obedience. And then third, God was passing on his promise to bless the nations through Abraham's offspring. Does that mean that God wouldn't have done this had Abraham not obeyed? Well, of course not. God is bound by his promise, not Abraham's obedience. And then fourth, Abraham's obedience is proof of his faith. Had he not believed God, he wouldn't have obeyed God. And then finally, we have to be careful that we don't project this verse onto us. This verse isn't talking about salvation. It's talking about God passing his promise down to Isaac. In fact, it can't be talking about salvation. God promised this apart from Abraham's response. Also, Abraham received the promise by faith. And likewise, we receive the promised blessing given to Abraham by faith. Paul's very clear in Ephesians that God did not save us by our works. Take a look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. And it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. God doesn't save you by your obedience. He saves you by his grace alone. Your obedience is an act of faith and a response of gratitude. In other words, you obey God because you believe him and love him. Moving on to Genesis chapter 26, verse 6 and following, Isaac follows in his father's footsteps. He lies about his wife to save himself. So Isaac settled in Gerar. Again, that's the place where Abraham lied about Sarah. Anyway, Isaac was afraid that the men there would see Rebekah and want to kill him. 
So he said that she was his sister. However, Abimelech, the king of Gerar, he figured out that she was Isaac's wife, and so he confronted him. Isaac endangered the people of Gerar because someone may have taken her and laid with her, which would have brought guilt on the people. And this reveals how serious God is about marriage. When Abraham lied about Sarah, God warned Abimelech that if he laid with her, he would die. And God said this because Sarah was the wife of another man. Adultery would have brought judgment not just on Abimelech or the man who laid with Sarah or Rebekah. It would have brought guilt on the people. Now, you can listen to episode 72 where I talk about the real purpose of marriage. So Abimelech established protection around Isaac, forbidding anyone to take his wife. And then afterward, Isaac farmed in the land, and God blessed him, and he became wealthy. And then Abimelech demanded that he depart, so Isaac did. And then Isaac had a series of disputes over wells until he dug a well, and there was no dispute. And to him, that was a sign that God had given him a place to settle and be fruitful. God then appeared to Isaac in Beersheba and identified himself as the God of his father Abraham. He then confirmed that he was with Isaac, that he would bless him and multiply him for Abraham's sake. God did this because of his promise to Abraham, not because Isaac was such a great guy. So Isaac built an altar and he called on the name of the Lord. And this reveals Isaac's faith. Then Abimelech wanted Isaac to make a covenant with him because he could see that God was with him. He wanted Isaac to swear that he wouldn't harm him or the people, so they exchanged oaths. And chapter 26 interestingly ends with a short statement that Esau took wives from the Hittites, and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. And then chapter 27 covers how Jacob received the blessing from Isaac. At this point, Isaac was old So he asked Esau to go hunt for some game and to prepare a meal. And then when he did this, Isaac would bless him. So while Esau was out hunting, Rebekah schemed with Jacob to receive the blessing from Isaac. And in order to do this, they would have to deceive Isaac. So since he couldn't see very well, Jacob posed as Esau. Then thinking that Jacob was Esau, Isaac blessed Jacob. And after he did this, in walked Esau. Isaac then realized that he had been tricked, and Esau pleaded for a blessing from Isaac. Instead, Isaac affirmed that Jacob would be Lord over him. Do you remember the prophecy in Genesis chapter 25, verse 23? The older shall serve the younger. This is what God intended from the very beginning. Now, you might ask, why is that? Well, listen to Paul hundreds of years later concerning Jacob and Esau. I've already touched on this a little earlier, but I'm going to read a few more verses. Starting at verse 10, reading to verse 13, it says, And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told, The older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. You see, God planned that the blessing would go to Jacob. And God planned that Christ would come through the line of Jacob. And even the deception of Jacob to gain the blessing falls within the sovereignty of God. Does that mean that Jacob's deception was good? Not at all. 
But this is how God worked out the blessing. Now, this seems unfair. You can argue that Jacob stole the blessing from Esau. And in fact, that was Esau's conclusion. But did he? If you remember in Genesis chapter 25, Esau despised his birthright, so he sold it to Jacob for some stew. Not only that, before they were born, God loved Jacob and hated Esau. So again, things worked out according to the promise of God. Was Jacob a good guy? Well, of course not. He was a scoundrel. But the good news for us is that God loved this scoundrel. He didn't love Jacob because he did something good. He loved him in spite of being despicable. And remember what Paul said, God loved him before he did anything good or bad. And if God could love that scoundrel, he can love you and me. Well, Isaac didn't have a blessing for Esau. In fact, the words appear very gloomy. And you can probably imagine that Esau hated Jacob and he wanted to kill him. And knowing Esau's intentions, Rebekah sent Jacob to Laban, her brother. Though much of what we have covered in this episode may seem more like a history lesson, one thing that we can gather is that God was with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And this would have been very important to the original audience. Remember, Moses wrote Genesis as the people moved from Egypt to the Promised Land, and he was helping them understand their origins. God rescued them from Egypt because he made a promise to Abraham. And the people could see through Genesis that God was moving forward on his promise. And that's the same for us. God promised Abraham that through him, all nations would be blessed. We are blessed through the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the seed of the woman who would defeat Satan. And he is the seed of Abraham that would bless all nations. So in Genesis, we can see God moving his plan forward to defeat Satan through the Lord Jesus Christ. That concludes this episode. If you have any questions, please email me at terry at thefoxdenjournal.com. If you enjoy The Fox Den, please leave a positive review and share this podcast with others. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe. The Fox Den is a member of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Thanks for listening. And remember, faith comes by hearing.